0: For you, the listeners of My JavaScript Story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars and much much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc, then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com/ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com/ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Jeff Escalante. Jeff, do you want to say hi? Hey there. Now, uh, we had you on episode... Hang on, I clicked too many links. Uh, Episode 158 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about Roots, which was a project, I guess, by Netlify. Uh,
1: No, I made that project. Uh, Oh, I might've
0: spoken oh, about you it, on it on There we go. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, do you want to give us just a brief introduction? It's, it's been a few years and you know, maybe you've moved on doing other things. Uh, it, it has. And
1: I have in general, but, uh, I'm obviously still involved with JavaScript, which is why I'm here today, <laughs> uh, I guess. Um, but I, uh, So I I started off my career working for about seven years for a digital agency uh, called Carrot, which was purchased by Vice um, Vice Media. And um, that was a great experience. I had a lot of opportunity to work on different types of projects and experiment with different things. Due to the fact that it's an agency, we didn't really have like a lot of consistent things we worked on. We had different projects kind of coming in the door, all the time, um, which really is a good opportunity to to branch out and and, and try a lot of different things and experiment. Um, so, I I worked there and was super happy with my work for for a long time. I started working on a bunch of open source projects as I started seeing kind of patterns and similarities between and i found that not a lot of people are working on uh, agency-targeted like tooling. A lot of the major open-source tooling that's out there is uh, built out and sponsored by very large product companies like Twitter and Facebook and, right. and the like. Uh, so there is kind of this big gap um, in, in tooling that address the need of smaller to medium-sized kind of projects uh, or projects that that weren't an enormous, uh, you know, interactive JavaScript app. So I started tinkering with that that type of thing um, while I was there. And uh, eventually we, we started talking to a lot of companies that had a specific type of problem, uh, being that there were larger companies that had multiple um, products or they owned multiple different companies uh, mm-hmm. that had a bunch of different websites and web presences. And they wanted to have some level of, um, you know, shared styling, um, and structure between the different sites, but also kind of balance that out with, uh, giving each product, uh, the freedom to, you know, go to a certain distance of like taking on their own voice, their own styling, their own type of content. Um, which is a really big challenge that a lot of really large companies are, uh, We're running into and and i would assume are still running into um and so we started talking to some of those companies because this was uh just the type of work we were interested in and um at the end of my time at the agency we had started working on a bunch of projects to address these problems um a lot of companies will just have one kind of hot link style sheet uh across a bunch of different pages uh which is nice and easy but makes it a little bit terrifying to make any changes uh, because you never know what's going to break and the managers of each product site don't really know when things are coming in and there's not really any staging abilities for it. Um, Some people would just build them out as uh, kind of like React or React-alike style apps, Mm -hmm. even if they were marketing sites or small sites, which takes a lot of resources And is really unnecessarily complex uh, for for those types of needs, and so we tried to settle on something in the middle, and that's how we ended up taking on HashiCorp as a client originally, uh, because HashiCorp has a few different products. Uh, There might be some listeners who aren't familiar, but uh, very quick summary: they it's a company that builds DevOps tooling. And there are a few different tools. I think there are six major tools that HashiCorp works on. All of them are open source with enterprise versions that include support and uh, features that would be necessary if you were a large organization using the tool. Um, And so they have a bunch of different products in the same way uh, and a bunch of different websites. So we started talking to them about it and testing out some of the tools and techniques we had been working on. And it's been working pretty well so far. Um, and eventually uh, there was some reorganization within my company, uh, you know, long story short, it ended up being shut down. And uh, around that same time, HashiCorp had started talking to me about uh, coming on to work on their stuff. Uh, I was already working on a full-time, but I guess as an employee, and so it worked out. And, since then, I've been over there working in HashCorp stuff. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very long version of the background, but there's my entire professional history.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting too. And I, I hear from people a little bit about, you know, what's it like working in an agency? And, you know, and usually you, you find people that have done one or the other. Sometimes you find people that do both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to hear. Oh, so when we talked to you last, you were... Um, you were a consultant and now you're working at HashiCorp full-time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's all interesting stuff. I, I kind of want to roll back a little bit and get some of the deeper history with your development experience. And then we can kind of come back and pick some of this other stuff apart. All right. Uh, up to you. Uh, so let's go back to when you got into programming. What was your first exposure to programming? Um, I started out doing,
1: uh, doing graphic design. Actually, I'd been tinkering with it in, um, in like, like early high school, maybe even like middle school, like a very, Mm -hmm. very long time ago. Um, this was probably around the time when, uh, in the web development world, it was still, uh, inline styles and tables, uh, kind of zone. And so it was, it was fairly early on. And um, I had been doing graphic design a little bit, you know, on my own. I'd been doing it for like, you know, some online games I was playing. Uh, it was pretty, it was, I, I enjoyed doing it and it was pretty useful. I started making posters and stuff for people and like t-shirt designs. And eventually it led to a couple of smaller freelance jobs where I charged a infinitesimally small amount of money to make things. Uh uh, which is cool. And um, at one point, someone asked me to make a website. Uh, So I was like, yeah, well, uh, sure, (laughs) I'll do it. (laughs) Obviously, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I was pretty confident that I could make it look good. And it was a very, very simple ask. It was like a small business. They wanted like a homepage and a bell page. And like, you know, staff page didn't even want a contact form, I don't think. So I felt like I could probably piece it together. So I did a bunch of Googling. I made a I made a nice design. And I put together what was effectively a really horrible uh website, but it looked pretty it looked pretty, I guess is what I'm saying. I was gonna say it looked pretty good, but I would say it looked pretty. So they were pretty happy with it, surprisingly, and I got a couple of, you know, word of mouth referrals to other friends of that person, kind of small companies and I got really lucky, honestly, to have started out that way at that time because it, it was a very soft entry. It wasn't like, right. I, I feel like a lot of people entering into uh, web development today are like straight to like, you know, gigantic uh, React apps. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the only way to get a job, uh, which makes it really hard because there's a lot of things behind that. There's like years of, of like full-time education that needs yep. to be built up about, you know, like programming itself about like databases about software engineering, like all these things are needed. And, uh, but I, I kind of just stumbled into a, a very, very easy soft entry into like pure HTML and CSS, not a line Mm -hmm. of JavaScript. Uh, and, and I had a few like small projects that were paid. So I was motivated to do them. Although of course Mm -hmm. it was like hardly anything. It was like maybe a couple hundred dollars for, I was definitely not at minimum wage. Let's put it that way. But there were simple enough projects that I could get them done and, and become more comfortable and, and slowly start, you know, adding in JavaScript here and there as, as I had done a few more sites. And really, it just ramped up from there. I think the point at which I started to transition into it professionally was near the end of college. I had been freelance doing freelance web design and development throughout all of college, kind of on the side here and there. And when it came down to like, hey, time to figure out what you're going to do with your life and what mm-hmm. jobs you're going to apply for, I, I really enjoyed doing the design and development stuff. And it seemed like there were jobs available in that field. Uh, and I was like, listen, if someone's going to pay me to do something that, that I like doing and honestly would do in my free time uh, for enjoyment, then, then I'm pretty fortunate to have be in that situation. So I started applying for kind of internships at a variety of different companies in the area i didn't really have any experience at all i never took any classes of any sort i didn't have any certifications the only thing i had was like my little portfolio i pieced together of all these small business websites i made and every (laughs) company i applied to i made them a custom application because i knew i had to put in like extra effort considering they're taking on extra risk even considering someone who's Basically right. it has no credentials to their name, you know, whatsoever. Uh, and, and fortunately enough, uh, you know, one of the companies was was willing to take the risk and, and offer me an internship.
0: Makes sense. I'm a little bit curious, you know, you, you said you kind of got in with just HTML and CSS, which does keep things nice and simple. But as yep. you said, you know, web development has gotten more and more JavaScript front end heavy. Yep. So at what point did you start making that transition?
1: Well, it was late in the game because it, it wasn't JavaScript heavy when I started doing right. it. I mean, there was hardly JavaScript at all. It was like the beginning of jQuery. So like nobody was really writing JavaScript. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I went into was uh, was Rails. So when I started my internship, the, the company I started at, which was the same agency I worked at for, for all those years, was mostly banking on Rails to make little applications when mm-hmm. needed. And so... <laughs> I had already had an interest in Rails earlier and been trying to learn it on my own because I knew that by the time I applied, I was entirely comfortable with, with jQuery and, and JavaScript and HTML and CSS. So like any assignment for a front end, I was pretty confident I could, I could right. put it out. But what I was lacking was like the ability to do any type of actual functionality on a site, like logging in user accounts. So it seemed like a natural step and I started researching mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a lot, and it was really complicated. And I, I don't think I would have gotten there uh, without being able to spend full time on it <laughs> at right. this end, learning and having people I could ask questions to, and who would help me out. Um, so yeah. that was really my first introduction. Was wasn't actually JavaScript, it was Rails. Um, An update, and then views were updated through the server. Yeah, uh, and. That was kind of at the Rails, the, the Rails heyday, so to speak, where everybody was on mm-hmm. Rails. You could flip between one job and another and not have to change your development environment, you know, whatsoever. Right. Uh, and and yeah. JavaScript kind of started coming later when Backbone came out, and that was just a natural transition. It was like I was already pretty comfortable with JavaScript. I was already pretty comfortable with Rails in general. I had a great foundation in web development at that time, so I was just learning along with everybody
0: else. Yeah, that makes sense, and it, I, I really identify with a lot of that because that's a, a lot like the journey that I took. You yeah, know, I was working for a company. We started building some tools in Rails, and yeah, you know, we had professional Rails developers that were yeah. part of the company, and so we'd ask them questions and yeah. get help. And yeah, it all worked out, and, and it, it makes a lot good. of sense to learn it on the job that way.
1: Yeah, it it, it does, and and it makes even more sense to learn it as the web is coming into its own, mm-hmm. which. Which I feel lucky to have had. And, and, you know, for all I know, I, I would have ended up in some different field entirely if I had started today. And I talk to a lot of people who are just trying to get started today um, and kind of hear about how they're trying to tackle it and what kind of courses they're taking. Some of them are going into boot camps and stuff. Uh, and they're like, all right, <laughs> one, one, one person, one of my friends told me he went to a boot camp and they're like, this week we're going to cover React. So they had one week to cover it. And then afterwards they had to like <laughs> take a test where they like basically build out an app on their own. And I was like, "Were you good at programming before that? Were you like comfortable with JavaScript?" He's like, "No, like there were two weeks of other things before that to like learn the basics." I was like, "It took me more than a week to learn React when yeah. I was already a full-time professional for years." Like that's absurd. Did anybody pull it off? He's like, "No, everybody failed." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like it's this awkward thing where it's come so far that it's like this impossibly high wall for people to, to traverse when they're getting started today because everyone says in order to get a job, you have to do this or here's this new hyped up framework. You've got to learn it in order to be able to do anything, which I, I kind of think is, is shenanigans. You could, there's millions and millions of websites that don't use React and aren't giant web apps and are still small websites using HTML and CSS for small businesses or little marketing pages that are informational. And you can get there slowly, but the fact that like the fact that boot camps are businesses, and education shops or businesses, and they're going to optimize for like click-through rates and they can put on like technology hype words and things that show up in job descriptions and make money from it, just leads to like this funnel of like, you can't see outside of it. Like who cares about all these small business websites, which there are way more of than large apps and are much, much easier of a way to get started with web development. Might as well dive right into the deep end and then basically
0: drown, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that you're talking about this. And earlier you mentioned that you built a, a web or web page for each place you apply to. And yeah. you know, all of these things are, are a little bit different take than yeah, most people are after. They're they're looking to go get a job at some company that's building some monster web application, you know, Facebook 2.0 or whatever. Yeah. And or Facebook itself. <laughs> yeah. And so they think they can go through the boot camp and then they can come in and they can go work at Groupon.
1: And, and it never happens,
0: you know. Yeah, it doesn't. And it, it's really interesting, you know, the thought of, yeah, you know, go to some small businesses and go pick up some experience with what they're dealing with. It, may, it, it just, it really hits home to me, both because I run a small business and my dad, he was a dentist. And so, he, you know, the same thing there, right? If somebody had come to him and said, you know what, um, I just graduated from this boot camp, I can make you this, you know, awesome website you know, he probably would have given him the serious look, you know, for the right price. And then you get this experience, right? You can go in and yeah. say, yeah, you know, I did it in Next.js. So there's your React experience right there. But it's Easy. in- a, <laughs> Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is if you want to build that React experience, you can do it by going with a solution like that or create React app or something like that that just has like a basic contact form and stuff in it. And you don't have to do anything massively complicated. You don't have to build a single page app form.
1: Yeah, I mean honestly I don't even think I would recommend that. And and
0: just HTML and CSS, huh?
1: Yeah, because here's the thing. If you don't have a good if you don't have an absolute mastery of HTML and CSS and of JavaScript at its base value, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna be out of a job. That's what it comes down to. Like I hire JavaScript developers. I know if you don't know your shit. <laughs> I
0: yeah, know it. That's
1: true. And it's not going to get you that far because everything you make at your job is custom. You can't, like, boilerplate out things that anybody could do because then I wouldn't be hiring a person to do it. I would be writing a program to do it. So, like, if you are 100% confident that no matter what task I gave you with just HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and no framework, you could build it out, then I don't see any reason why you should start down the road to React. You know, because you don't understand the foundation and eventually that lack of foundation is going to create this pit in your app and you're going to fall down the pit and everything's going to go, go downhill. Or either that or hopefully what will really happen Mm -hmm. is your dev is going to notice some of these flaws in your code when they're doing the review and say, hey, listen, you know, it seems like there's something that you really don't understand about how this stuff works.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm curious, what did you do when you were applying to these jobs? What did your custom website look like that you put up for them?
1: (laughs) I would say I could send it to you, but it was so old. And I don't know how many people are going to listen to this or look at it. That I (laughs) I don't know if I should, Um, but I'll tell you basically what it was. It was effectively like a cover letter, Mm -hmm. but I had coded it up and given it a really nice design and style. And I had catered it to the company specifically. So I read materials about these companies I went through all their stuff I looked at their employees and their leaders Twitter accounts kind of tried to figure out the vibe of the company I read through the job descriptions carefully and I kind of made this list of like hey I'm Jeff you know here's why you should hire me for this position and I had this list of like things that you know some of them were like standard things like I like one, one of them this is kind of silly but uh, one of them was a button that said, it it was a bullet that said, I I write very standards compliant markup. Uh And you can click on the link there and it would strip the style sheet off the page and just show it with absolutely no styles and everything still showed up totally fine. Uh, It was entirely readable and digestible. And I think that's like kind of silly, but it's really important to have someone that has like a lot of attention to detail and someone who cares about like, everything all the way down to the foundations of the technology is not just looking for gloss over the top. And I left a lot of comments in the source code too, because I thought I'm up to applying for a dev job. I want to mm-hmm. make sure this source is really clean, uh, super tidied up. And I want to like have some spots where I'm like, Hey, I know you're reading source code, you know, and, and, and drop some comments and some interesting little tidbits in there. So I did that and, and the internship that ended up accepting me the CTO had looked over the application and it was like, yeah, I read the source code and I saw your comments in there <laughs> and I, and I like that you paid attention to that. So mm-hmm. I think it was just a lot of like little things that, that came from the fact that I, I didn't even try to go too far overboard. I didn't try to apply mm-hmm. for a full-time position. I went for internship despite the fact that like, I did really know how to make websites and like, I put a ton of time and care into like the smaller details and who's to say like, I mean, there were—don't get me wrong—a lot of companies got this same treatment and like didn't even respond to me, you know, or just sent right. me rejection. So I'm not trying to toot my own horn here. I'm just trying to figure out like maybe some of the reasons why it, it worked for at least this one company.
0: No, that makes sense, and it's interesting too. You talk about a lot of the things that I tell—I've I, been coaching people on finding a job for a while—and mm-hmm. you, you know, you talked about a lot of the things that I tell them to do. You know, to go research the company, go look at the leadership of the company, get a feel for the vibe of the company and go look yeah. at all that stuff. And it's, it's fascinating how many people just aren't willing to do that level of work. You're right. <laughs> and it's You're also right. fascinating then how many of those people are the ones that are out there complaining after six months that they can't find a job. And yeah. it's because you didn't, you, you may be the perfect match for them, but you didn't tell them that. And the reason you tell them that is because you didn't know, and it would have taken you a half hour on the internet to find yeah. out everything you needed to know to go, this looks like the perfect position for me and I think I'm the perfect person for them. Yeah.
1: And you have to stand out too. Like good companies get piles of resumes on their desks every day. If you just spray and pray your resume, it's not gonna get you anywhere. If you yeah. wanna have your your info even read or considered, mm-hmm. you've gotta stand out like at base value from everyone else who's doing the resume spray and pray, which really is standard. Like that was what yeah. was recommended to me
0: like by oh, college advisors. <laughs> so how do you go from that to writing a tool like roots in JavaScript?
1: <laughs> I would say through a very standard path of programming, which is it, it's it's looking for patterns and trying to automate them, which I think is the base of what, what you're doing as a developer. Overall, I had worked on a bunch of small, uh, you know, I, I had worked on a bunch of different projects, and I started to get the sense that I was repeating myself in certain areas between these different projects. And so I wanted to kind of like take some of the uh, take some of the repetition out of that. As we uh, all learn at an early stage, you know, don't repeat yourself is a is an essential of programming. So really it started out as like at the time I think it was using SAS during SAS's early days, and and I'm sure you recall that SAS eventually became a default in rails mm-hmm. um, and that was when it really started going off but we were using SAS and it was great I mean it still is pretty great uh, right. but there were all these little utilities that we had of like even small things like a lot of the times you'd have to define a width and a height as two different properties on two different lines for like a box that you're putting on the page of some sort and I was like you know this is really annoying I'm doing it a lot I wish I could have a shorter property where I could put the width and the height on one line that just says like dimensions. Uh Or even if it's just one value, it would set that to be both the width and height, kind of like padding works. You know, you can do the one value and it pads on all sides, or you can do two or three or four and it just takes one side. It was like, why can't width and height work like that? And so I made a little like, you know, very, very basic, simple function that took in a number and spout out width and height. And I started building up more of those as I worked on these projects. Until I had this little collection and I found myself, you know, like pasting this collection in between all my projects because it was something that was pretty useful. And eventually I was like, all right, I need to like centralize this thing and just take the collection and like publish it on its own and then have other projects consume it rather than duplicating it between everyone. And that was the initial roots. That's what roots was in the first version. It was literally a library of SaaS. Uh, Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> and then it kind of just kept going from there. A lot of the sites we made were static uh, sites because there were smaller promotions um, for like campaigns that companies were running. You know, there were informational websites. There were Facebook uh, at that time. Facebook custom apps and pages were like really, uh, really hot. So the company got oh, yeah. all those, and a lot of those were just iframes of a static page that just sits in Facebook and doesn't have a lot of functionality and so we started looking into some static site generators where we could use some of the things like that we were used to from ruby like Hamel and sass and all uh-huh. and we picked some up you know started using them for a bunch of different things started finding same way with the styling like some little things that we could have done different or like that would help us out more in our projects and it kind of built up from there it started out as modifications to an existing static generator it ended up being a rewrite of our own generator from the ground up. And that was what the first real version of Roots was, was just like a little static site generator. And it was written using Node because at that point, Ruby and Rails were kind of starting to decline a little bit. And mm-hmm. there wasn't really a need for Ruby in the pipeline for a static website. You know, it's JavaScript on the front end. You could use JavaScript to build it out since Node existed and, that was, that was kind of where the first one came from. So I know it's kind of a long rambling tale, but I guess no, if but it's fascinating too. kind of like a natural progression of just like, I'm doing this thing a lot. I can make it easier for myself. So I should do that. And I was really lucky to have uh, both a boss and a company that like supported that type of vision and, and gave me the time to work on those tools, knowing that an investment now would pay off for the company in the future.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know what, I just needed these convenience
1: yeah. um,
0: things in SAS. And then from there, it became, yeah, it became a collection of those. And then it was, okay, well, now we're starting to move a little bit more toward Node. And, you know, the, the programming community is moving a little bit more toward Node. So we're going to take it over there. And mm. yeah, before you know it, you've got a tool that, you know, does all these things in an ecosystem that, it wasn't even started in but at the same time right you know it has this this massive payoff for you
1: yeah and we ended up using it for a lot of our projects and we ended up open sourcing it um which was really nice it's got a lot of benefits and and it's not something that's seen often within the agency world i think we were in this very strange little bubble uh at my company and and i think i was lucky to have that because of like a very forward thinking and and a really great boss at the time where eventually it got to the point where I wasn't working on our agency projects anymore and I was just working on tooling full time. So just cranking work on roots and I would be taking support requests from other developers. I'd be building out additional features that we wanted. And through that, like I also got to interact with a bunch of other people outside the company because it was open source and kind of like see how they wrote code, see what types of things their companies are doing, and bring some of that knowledge back uh, to our developers within the company, which is nice too, because sometimes Mm -hmm. it can really become, you know, like a monoculture almost within a company of like everyone does things this way and this is the way it's done. So bring in some like fresh perspectives is really nice. Uh, And in a lot of little ways it ended up paying off over the years. We got our name out there. We got a lot of hiring leads through it, you know, especially for Mm -hmm. development. So, it you know, it's one of those things that's really hard to measure for ROI, um, mm-hmm. which is, is why I think agencies don't typically do it. Agencies is very easy to measure ROI in general because you log the number of hours you bill towards a yep. project and then you know, <laughs> did I charge enough for this project or not? This is one of those things where, like, you don't often get an opportunity like that. But that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing you can do as an agency, that might be the little piece that'll get you ahead. You know, making your developers more efficient is going to allow you to price out other agencies in the same bracket while still delivering similar, higher quality products. So I, I like that. That's the way that they were thinking.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The other, the other lesson that I would take from this is, again, for folks that are getting into this and they're thinking, oh well. You have to be some kind of genius to build a a big system like this. Or, you know, they look at like NPM or React or some of these other systems and they're like, Holy cow. Well, it started with one little thing. Yep. And then you added another little thing. And pretty soon you've got a bigger thing that does a lot of things for people who are trying to solve a singular problem. And so, you know, go out and work on something that you really care about.
1: Yeah. And it's almost the same thematically enough with programming in general. You know. Yep. You can try to start it out by like taking on React when you know nothing about programming, but you're just not going to get anywhere. That you got to start with something little, yep. a small like achievable programming task, and you can slowly build that up. You know, to, to things that are more complicated than you'd ever imagine you'd be working on.
0: Yep, absolutely. So, uh, what are you working on now?
1: Yeah, so I am an engineering manager at at now, so I um, I manage a small team of developers, which is which is a wonderful time, and uh, I I really enjoyed doing that. But that takes up time on its own, just making sure that everybody's resourced correctly, everyone's mm-hmm. got projects to work on, everyone's got projects to work on that they would enjoy working on. You know, reviewing code, fielding questions, making connections. So a a, a bit of my time gets sunk into that, but I still really enjoy writing code and spend probably at least a third, maybe to a half of my time actually writing code. And I'd and I very much like to keep it that way. Um, so I would say, so we had this, um, I was talking earlier about uh, this problem of a single company that has many different web properties. HashiCorp's got six products. Each one of those products has a website. They have their main corporate website at hashicorp.com mm-hmm. and um, then they have two events that they run as well large conferences one in the us and one in europe called HashiConf and hashi, hashi days so overall there's nine different websites previously these are all different di- managed by different teams don't really have anything shared between them so it's a pretty big project for us getting those all unified and making sure that everything's good nothing goes down nobody gets mad about it So that's a large project for us that we've been working on. And additionally, the system that will do that is something that evolved out of the tools that I had made originally. After Roots, I moved on to working on a a different static site generator called Spike. Uh Um, I had started it as a set of changes to Roots and then realized it was so drastic that it should just be a separate project and they can both go on their own path because forcing someone to basically change everything is not that reasonable. Right. Uh, And the main main theory of how Spike works is that everything is a parser that accepts plugins. So I won't get too deep into the weeds, but I'll give a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. Babel, for example, is a project that probably everybody's heard of. Post CSS is a project that a lot of people mm-hmm. have heard of. Both of these projects work the same way. For Babel, you can take JavaScript and you feed it in, and it parses it into a large nested JavaScript object with all the right. names, cultures, right? So it's like here's a variable declaration, mm-hmm. here's the variable value, and what you can do is you can write a plugin that goes into that structure and makes changes to the JavaScript code in a way that's organized instead of like you know, going through the string and like trying to run a a regular expression on it. Right. Uh, And then it outputs your version of that. By default, it doesn't do anything. So if you run Babel, your JavaScript comes in, it parses it, it generates it back into a string and it puts it out. That's it. You are empowered to change JavaScript in the way that you want through writing a plugin that walks through the structure of the code and makes changes in places that you want. Post CSS is exactly the same thing, but it's for CSS. CSS goes in, it gets parsed into an object tree uh, called an abstract syntax tree technically, and then it comes out as a string. So we had adopted both of those tools and really, really liked them. The way that it gave you so much flexibility is huge. With something like SAS, you get a set of features that's fixed. It's like, here's the features. These are the features you get. If you don't use this feature, too bad. The code's in there running on all of your code anyway. If you want another feature, You've got to go in and understand this large, convoluted code base, and make sure that the feature is valuable enough that it's worth shipping the extra code weight to every single user of the cool. tool. Basically, means you don't get the features. You know, right? You can try and ask for it, but it's like not really happening. With something like Babel or PostCSS, if you want a feature, you can just make it on your own, and then use it yourself without impacting anyone else. And you only have to use the features that you're actually using. So it ends up running faster and uh, being simpler to understand. So we really loved that model and ended up making an equivalent for HTML, which there really wasn't a dominant one at the time, called Reshape. Mm-hmm. And so we had those three running in concert and this build system was effectively like a do do nothing by default. And then you can make these little collections of plugins to process your code in the way you want. Right. What we ended up figuring out is that Reshape the HTML parsing one could take in a React component and stringify it and then rehydrate it later.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh,
1: So typically, this will happen on the server because for what? Like, here's let me try to give an example. So, for for Twitter, they use this same architecture. Uh huh. They can't be a static site because it's updating every millisecond. There's tens of millions of tweets, each tweet of which has its own individual page. And it's just completely infeasible to regenerate all the static Mm -hmm. pages on that site. So it has to be dynamically generated, meaning you make a request to Twitter, it figures out how to build the page, it builds it, and it sends it back to you, obviously with a caching layer of some sort in there. So a lot of large apps use this type of structure because they could not possibly use any other type of structure, it has to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've come out with, so, I don't know. I'll I'll try to explain everything just to make sure it's like equalized for anyone that's listening. But effectively, if you want to have a page that has interactive JavaScript components like React things on it, you have to ship a lot of JavaScript. And on an old or slow device, that means that it's going to take a really long time to load the content because you have like, you know, maybe a a very basic phone, not too great of an internet connection. There's not a lot of computing power in there and you have to take on this JavaScript that fires up, parses, evaluates, gets all the data from the server and renders it on the page. You can optimize your speed a little bit by having the server render the initial version of the page and then sending through one page worth of static HTML. And then after their JavaScript loads, it takes over the static HTML and adds in the interactivity to it so that you see the page pretty quick but it takes a little bit longer for it to be functional, Mm -hmm. uh, which is typically referred to as server rendering. Right. This is great, but it's very complicated because you need to maintain two versions of your app. Your server is running and rendering your app, and so is your client in slightly different ways. For a large app, this is very much worth it because any speed increases or interactivity usability increases for a large app means large revenue increases. Uh, They'll take that trade off easily. For something like a smaller page or a marketing page or an informational page that's not a giant app, it's not really worth it to run a giant server set up like this because it's too complicated for your needs. But you still sometimes want the benefits of being able to use something like React to make a little interactive portion of the page. And so we were seeking something that was kind of a balance between these two, where we could ship out a static website, still have the first version be fully static, have the whole thing searchable, indexable, uh, and render fast, but also be able to use the components. And so reshape was what ended up enabling us to do that. Effectively by saying, in this spot in the HTML, if you see an element marked in this way, render this React component into that spot. Right. And generate the static page. So we're using a system like this in order to have the, this library of components for HashCorp that we use and gives consistency and like style and code across all the pages, but also lets us put out things like documentation pages that don't need a gigantic dynamic server set up to render or conference pages that are just, you know, like a registration page and some info mm-hmm. um, fairly easily and with a, with a low cost as static sites. So that's a very big project for us right now as well. Uh, sorry again for the very long-winded answer.
0: No, it's fine. I'm I'm curious. Is this a HashiCorp project or? It's open source
1: and it has been for a while. It was developed initially at my previous company, and open sourced, and uh, we've been using it at HashiCorp. The thing is, it's a little bit of a niche. The use case where you actually need this. So I've done a couple of talks about it, huh. and I just had you know. it's very good for when you need it, but most people are working at large application companies, as you kind of alluded to earlier. Like that seems to be standard job path. And it's totally worthless if you're working at a big app company, because in that case, you want to be doing server rendering, which is great Mm -hmm. and is what you should be doing. So it's kind of in this spot where like, it's very, very good if you need it, but you'd have to spend a lot of time marketing it in order to mm-hmm. cast a wide enough net to find all those people. And I just don't care about marketing it because I'm using it. It's working really great. <laughs> and like I don't have time for marketing for no reason exactly. <laughs> if
0: that makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. Cool. Well, I think we're pretty <laughs> much at the end of our time. It, it's really <laughs> interesting to dive into this though. And I'd love to you know, maybe schedule another episode and see if we can talk about how this all comes together with the panel. But in the meantime, do you want to tell people how they can find you online?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think probably just I don't I'm I'm not super active on any social media to be honest. Probably mm-hmm. the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter and if you just search for my name Jeff Escalante on Google, it'll come up in the top couple of results because there's not a lot of people named Jeff Escalante, fortunately. So I would say just search for me on Google if you're interested and you'll find a way to
0: reach out to me pretty quickly if if you're interested. Sounds good. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have something you wanna shout out about? Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash jabber.
1: Yeah, I was struggling to find some of these ones, but I have a couple and... Uh, One of them is newer and shinier, and one of them is not so new, but I think it's really great. (laughs) Um,
0: So Uh which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the not so shiny one, then you can end with a bang. Okay.
1: Okay, sounds good. So my not so shiny one is the Webpack Bundle Analyzer plugin. For some people, this might sound like a default. For some people, you might not have heard of it. And if you haven't, it will change your life but effectively this is a plugin that you could slot right into any webpack configuration and it will spit out a really nice interactive graph of each one of the assets that you've built out as part of your bundle, how they're related and how large they are. And oftentimes, as soon as you see this, you can find, it it gives you a completely different view on your bundle. You can see sometimes a very trivial package that you're using is like gigantic and is taking up like 50% of the size of your bundle. Or sometimes if uh-huh. you're doing any type of code splitting, you can see that you're taking the same thing and you're shipping it in like three or four different bundles. So every time someone goes to a new page, they're loading a fresh version of you know jQuery or whatever. Uh, so this tool is like super, super useful. And I feel like every single person running Webpack should be running Bundle Analyzer and frequently checking it to make sure that your package is in check.
0: Makes sense. All right, well, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. Oh, did, oh your other pick... Sorry, you had you want me
1: to do the other one, or do you want to sprinkle some? Yeah, in do
0: it. <laughs> okay. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll do mine in a minute.
1: All right. Uh, the other one, I, I just picked this up recently, but it's called MDX. And it is sort of this hybrid of JSX and Markdown, uh, which is kind of cool because Markdown is really great and JSX is really great, but they don't combine super well. Uh, so if you're looking for some type of way to have a area where developers can write content in a very intuitive manner without too much boilerplate but also drop in uh you know components either that they built or that are pre-built to render more complex scenarios uh mdx might be a a cool thing to take advantage of and i know that there's a project called mdx slides as well i think um, for kind of building out markdown based slideshows and I know there's a million ways to do markdown based slideshows, but this one seems fairly promising because you don't need a bunch of extra React boilerplate around each page. The MDX view is pretty much just a straight markdown file, but you can import any kind of component in there and just drop it in line, which simplifies and cleans up things a little bit. I haven't tried it out for a presentation yet, uh, but I've heard some glowing reviews from it. and. Mm-hmm. Normally, I use slides.com, which I think is pretty common for presentations. But I've heard that a few people have swapped over from slides.com to using this, which is like pretty big deal because slides.com is great. So I'll have to try it out next time I'm working up a presentation.
0: But there's definitely a lot of uses, surely, for MDX at base as well. Cool. Um, I'm going to jump in with a few picks then. Um, lately, the thing that I've been using Markdown for is to write a book. And the system I've been using to build the book is called Softcover. You go to softcover.io and this is a system I only really recommend to technical people and it only runs on the Mac and it takes a little bit of work to set up but then it'll export to Mobi, PDF and EPUB. So you kind of get all of the things in there and uh, it's really terrific. It was built by Michael Hartle who is the Ruby on Rails tutorial author That's what he used to write his book. So anyway, I'm working on a book on finding a job. So if you're out there finding a job and uh, typically this is the question that I get asked more than anything else is how do I find a job by new people or how do I find a better job by newish people or how do I find a remote job for people who have a little bit of experience but don't live near any, you know, significant tech community. So Anyway, that, that's what I'm after. I'm, I'm putting this book together for them. And I'm also doing a video course. If you go to getacoderjob.com, it will take you to the right place. You can buy the videos. If you go to devchat.tv slash shop, then you'll be able to see the ebook only if that's the way you want to go. But anyway, otherwise, you know, the, the landing page you'll get at getacoderjob.com will take you to the place to buy the video course, which has a whole bunch of walkthroughs and stuff. So... Anyway, that's, that's what I'm working on with that. Um, and then one other pick that I have, and this is something that I've just been doing to unwind, is Breath of the Wild, which is the Zelda for the Nintendo Switch. And uh, it's really great. I'm really enjoying it. So I'm going to pick that as well. Very cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming. Of course. Uh, happy to be here. All right. Well, we will catch you all next week with another Ruby Story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.